We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Adam McGee. And I'm Andrew Snyder. And you're listening to Caption Celluloid on Make Time for This, probably a part of the Eurostep Podcast Network and the Blue Wire Podcast family. Andrew, we're here once again to talk about movies. We're here to talk about, I guess, one of the most talked about movies of recent weeks. And we've enlisted a special guest, an esteemed figure. I believe he's like some sort of professor of film at some prestigious Midwestern university. Am, am I right on that, Andrew? Have we booked the right person? I think I be, think that's has right. Has there been a mix-up? No, that's right. He's, uh, uh, I think, Chancellor Emeritus somewhere. I don't know where, but I think that's that's what it is. None of that is true. Our guest is Newmark. <laughs> that's Hello, right. Newmark. That's right. Hello, guys. How's it going? It's going well. It's great to have you back on this feed. This is the first time uh, I'm just realizing this now, much to my terror, that we have had you and Andrew on and make time for this episode together. Your previous appearance was to talk about The Bear with Jordan Tresky and myself. Andrew does not do TV, so he was not there. Um, We're going to talk about Glass Onion, the latest film from Ryan Johnson, the sequel to Knives Out. But first, we've got some some fun news, an exciting announcement, something you may have heard on one or two of our Eurostep Podcast Network shows already. You'll probably continue here over the weeks ahead. And um, But we've got an exciting partnership to announce. We've joined up with a podcasting community, a company called Repod, who are going to kind of help us to have a new hub for conversation to allow all of you to connect, to engage, to interact, to argue to tell us we're wrong i'm sure there's gonna be a lot of that going on in the talk of the tundra repod um but it's a place where you can listen to our episodes you can comment on individual episodes you can talk to any of us as hosts individually you can stay on top of all your favorite podcasts you can follow them there you can get to know other listeners to your favorite shows you can discover new things it's really your one-stop shop for all things podcasting and i guess podcasting discourse community all that good stuff. 
So to make sure you're on top of all of that for make time for this, if you have any takes on any movies, shows, whatever it is we're talking about and you want to get into it with us, best place to go. You can join our community by going to joinrepod.com forward slash make time for this. Leave your comments in there. We'll be happy to uh, to chop it up with y'all. I'm ex- excited for what Repod's going to mean to all of us. And I know that's something we share across the board, whether it's books, brewers, packers, or pop culture. All right. Glass Onion. This is a movie that has been talked about for quite some time. It was the subject of a very, very splashy Netflix deal where they bought the rights for two Knives Out sequels, taking it exclusively to their service. And after, I mean, the smash hit that the original was, one of the biggest kind of underdog theatrical successes of recent years, um, the whole thing's kind of reframed because all of a sudden it's coming as a big budget, major purchase for one of the biggest players in all of entertainment. Uh, look, we'll start with the guest. Why not? Will we regret it? Who knows? But <laughs> Numak, I guess the two parts of this question are, one, what was your response to Knives Out or what's your relationship to Knives Out? And then following on from that, what was your anticipation like for Glass Onion over the past weeks, months? I know, maybe longer. Maybe you're just like the second Knives Out job. You were the guy being like, I need another one of those on Netflix in a couple of years. So the, my relationship with the first Knives Out was that I saw it um, during, it came out in 2020 or like early 2021, didn't it, in theaters, if I'm not mistaken? 20, 2019, um, pre-COVID. One of the, oh, was it really? One of the last, I feel like September-ish maybe? Right. Even later, November. It was the Thanksgiving, big Thanksgiving release in 2019. Gotcha. So I remember going to see it at like a theater that had just opened one of those fancy theaters, the uh, where you get like the food and order like a real meal and everything. I was like, I wasn't expecting this. I just wanted some popcorn to watch a movie. And I saw it in like sweatpants and a hoodie and just like sandals in the middle of winter. And there was people in suits and such. I was like, I am very uncomfortable in my skin right now. But I saw it and did like didn't know anything going into it. I just know that there was a lot of hype around it, like through various friends and Discord group chats. I was in that just go see it. Absolutely loved it. I've watched it probably ten times since I first watched it uh, in the theaters, just on Netflix and wherever else I could have watched it. And I loved it. I loved it, like the whodunit style of it and just the way it was shot. It was so beautiful and without a doubt, Daniel Craig's character Benoit Blanc was like hook, line, sinker for me. I think probably for most people too. But overall, just like the really great writing of like the story, like the plot was so good and star-studded with all the characters. And just, I love the way it was set, like the scene in Upper New England. It was great. So when I heard that there was another one coming out, um, I think early last year, whenever I saw the first, I think I just saw a post about it on Reddit first, like the poster. Um, I was super excited. And then I didn't see anything of it for a while. And then I saw it was coming out this holiday season and found out I had missed the theatrical release. I was very, very mad because I've been wanting to see it. And so uh, the day it came out, uh, Christmas Eve Eve, um, me and my wife sat down and watched it. And I didn't love it as much as I loved like the OG Knives Out because like I think once you expect a whodunit, you don't buy into everything as much as you do if you go into like a movie like this raw and so um 
or like give grades initially. Like wow, as we're a, coming straight oh, out of the gate with grades. OG. Well, I just want to give expectations for like how much okay, I sure. liked it versus what you did. Like OG Knives Out was like a nine, nine and a half for me. Like I loved it. Okay. And the range, I'll give like a definite let like number later for Glass Onion for me was like a seven to a eight and a half ish range. Oh. Okay. Andrew, of course, for you, Benoit Blanc is like a slice of home. It just it, <laughs> it feels like everything you've known throughout your life. So What's your relationship to, I guess, what's now the Knives Out universe? Yeah, I've always viewed him as like a father figure, and uh, he's uh, he's a Southern icon. We actually, uh, when we began the process of in many states of removing Confederate monuments, we replaced them with Benoit Blanc monuments. <laughs> so, uh, which is a platform I can get fully on board with. Uh, much like Boogie Cousins' it platform is hating Chris Paul and racism, mine is replacing Confederate statues with Benoit Blanc statues. Just <laughs> a legendary Southerner. Uh, maybe maybe some right... Benoit Blanc and also some of Daniel Craig's Logan Lucky character, Joe Bang. Yeah, yeah, we can we can mix it up, but Daniel Craig needs to be involved and needs to be what we celebrate. Um, loved the original Knives Out. Saw it in a full theater, uh, much like Newmark, except mine was like the theater that's barely hanging on and you're like trying to figure out how it's still there. There's stains on the floor. The floor is sticky. The popcorn is cold. Uh, I'm sneaking a Coke zero in my Coke pocket, uh, that kind of vibe. Uh, and I loved it. I think uh, I'll agree. I think Daniel Craig for his turned up to 11 in the absurdity as his character is from time to time. I think it just works really well. Uh the absurdity of the the wealthy, well-to-do family arguing over uh, matters such as inheritance, I think, are pitch perfect in the performances. They're absurd enough without being quite cartoonish that it takes you out of it. Tony Collette, uh, Michael Shannon, Jamie Lee Curtis, Chris Evans, Don Johnson, who is, you know, pops up in things uh, now and again, working for very good directors and serves his purpose very well. Django Unchained comes to mind as another uh, really great use of Don Johnson in recent years, or I guess not recent years anymore because I'm getting old. Uh, Watchmen? And the Did biggest... you watch that TV show? What show? Watchmen? No, I've been chastised many times over for well, not Watch, having seen Watchmen it. slaps Andrew and uh, Don Johnson is, is great. I just now realized that he's in Django. Like you said that, I was like, oh, that's that, that's that character. I was like, it, it just clicked for me that that who's that is. That that's what I'm here for. Um, I like Ryan Johnson. Uh, I thought Looper it was really solid. Um, I was not uh one of the people that got been out of shape about last jedi i actually thought it was pretty good at the time i like it's i think i like it most out of those three and people yell at me about that um but the thing that stood out to me the most about knives out is just watching anna de Armas become a star in real time i mean she's just incredible in that movie and in that role and it, you're watching it and you're like okay this person's someone that i'm going to see in movies and in leading roles for the next 20 years she's just tremendous um uh she's in a movie called knock knock with uh keanu reeves i saw that uh did you really the prodding of a friend at the time did not occur to me that she was oh, going to become a global, no, no global superstar 
uh, it didn't occur to me that she was going to become a global superstar after watching Knock Knock, uh, but Knives Out definitely did. Uh, so my anticipation for Glass Onion was pretty high. Um, I tried to see it in a theater, but I timed my day out really poorly, didn't think ahead, and uh, it was sold out by the time I got there. Saw it on Netflix like the rest of America, and uh, I thought it was solid. I was a little underwhelmed, um, and we'll get into reasons why at a certain point, but I just think Knives Out stuck the landing and just nailed it all the way through. Didn't feel the same way about Glass Onion, but I also am okay getting, like, I know they're getting, we're getting another one. I'm okay with the try again. Let's see what, mm-hmm. let's see what the next version is. I'm on board with it. Like, I'm not, I'm never going to be out on seeing what Benoit Blanc's story Ryan Johnson has to tell next. I mean, I'm sure I'll get to the point at some point where I'm like, we don't need these anymore, but I'm not there yet, even if I was a little underwhelmed. Yeah, I'm definitely a little underwhelmed. I did warm to it a bit more in a second viewing. Uh, but I would say this is much better than the alternative, which is if this money is being spent on a different type of comedy film uh, or a different kind of mystery comedy film. I'll I'll get into it maybe a little bit later, but I think there, there are bad versions of this, like really bad versions of this being made all the time where this may not have worked for me on every level, but there's enough that's good there. And I think kind of to Numac's original point, like Daniel Craig is Benoit Blanc, a, a minimum. I'm going to be there every time. Like that's, that's going to be enough that I'm going to be like, okay, I might, like it is possible. I'll hate everything else around this movie, but do I want to see Daniel Craig perform as a Southerner with a French name? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, That sounds very interesting for me. I was a big fan of the original. Um, I, I think it was... It came out in a year that was just absolutely jam-packed and incredible movies, one of the strongest movie years in recent memory. And I think ultimately, it probably, like, when I think of 2019, or even at the time on a previous iteration of this pod, when we would have done any of the year stuff, Andrew, it would have come maybe mid-teens on my list for this year. I think as much as people love it, it didn't have the kind of the overall reputation in a more critical sense that it possibly deserved. And I think that would match its cultural impact. But when you rewatch it, it stands out as, yeah, this is very, very different to what most mainstream kind of it's a four quadrant studio blockbuster. It's like you can sit anyone down. I mean, I don't know, maybe not a little kids for a murder mystery. But within reason, it's about as close you're going to get to that. And I think the humor and the kind of wit, there's a sharpness to it. There's a specificity that it will work for everyone in whatever way is going to appeal for them. And that is key to what made it really successful. I think the other thing you identified, Andrew, is Anna de Armas. Because she came into that as, I guess, the, the unknown, certainly, of people with a major role in that movie. But honestly, I think for me... I'm trying to work out the timeline. Like, uh, Jaden Martell, who plays Jacob Trombie, he was in It. The It was before this. Catherine uh, Langford. It's a great regret for my TV watching days. I'll say, I knew her from 13 Reasons Why. Like, and that was a big show. I, I don't really think there was anyone in that movie that I was like, oh, that person's an unknown to the extent that I was with Anna de Armas at that time. 
and she's like a star coming out of that. You're immediately like, oh, well, that person is going to be one of the kind of A-list leading actresses for quite some time. And that has proven to be the case in the years since. That's kind of the magic. And that is something that's hard to bottle. Like to to replicate that, I think, is a challenge. I don't know if Ryan Johnson even tried to fully with the construction of Glass Onion, but I do think that was part of the kind of secret formula. One thing both of you guys have mentioned is with your original experience in the theater, with this movie missing the theatrical window, we should probably start there and briefly mention it. And um, the movie, as probably the vast majority of people listening, will know and be like, yeah, of course, that's how I watched it. It was released on Netflix on the 23rd of December. Um, I believe it was. And yep. it got a, a really unique theatrical window that honestly I don't think has ever happened before. It was the first of its kind deal for Netflix right at the end of November. They released it for one week only, which is not uncommon for Netflix. That is something they do. But they released it wide they did deals with the likes of Regal and AMC, major chains that they have always refused to do business with. Well, I guess the chains have more refused to do business with Netflix than the other way around. Deals were struck to get Glass Onion into theaters for one week only, uh, which is just not a lot of time. Like, it's it's really not. I saw this uh, having just overcome being very, very sick having absolutely brutal, like, snowy, icy weather where I had to be like, yeah, I'm going to trudge through this because if I don't see this now, I can't see it in a theater. And that's me who goes see movies in the cinema every single week. So it's been part of the discussion around this, how much money was left on the table. Um, do Netflix care? The answer to that, I think, is no. Um, but it's kind of an interesting element to this. Related to that, before we get into the movie itself, do either or both of you feel like, did you watch this and be like, I wish I saw it in the theater? Or did I miss out on something because I didn't see it in the theater? I don't think so. Because, but I think I have a different point of view than you guys do as like dedicated movie lovers. Like there's, I'm of the opinion that there's some movies that you like have to see in a theater, like to get the full experience. I like superhero movies are that for me. Like seeing Avengers Endgame not on a big screen wouldn't have had the same effect for me as it was like watching it at home. Um, and so the only reason I was sad I didn't get to see it in the theaters was because I didn't get to see it sooner than it was its Netflix release. Because like, if I'm not mistaken, the theatrical release was in like September or October, and then the full no, release no. was in December. End, end, of, end of November. Yeah, November. right so right around Thanksgiving. A month. I was this was wait was long enough for me to be upset that I had that I missed it. Yeah, I was only disappointed from the sense that I'm a lazy person with too many interests, and that means I put <laughs> off going to movies when I want to see them, and then when I actually do see them, I find the experience uh very rewarding and uh I get a sense of uh, removal from whatever annoyance is going on in my day-to-day life. So when I deprive myself of that, ex- of that experience, I find that I regret it. But the issues that I had in this and the things that I enjoyed, I don't think either of them are enhanced or diminished by having seen it in the theater. That's what I'll say. Because I'm the things that I take issue with are more 
uh, I don't know, inherent to the the setting, the time frame, and the character specificities than anything visual. Strong agree. Yeah, I mean, I was having this conversation with you uh, yesterday, Andrew. It's something I've been thinking about a bit recently, just not even by design. I've seen quite a few movies in theaters recently that are like repertory cinema. They're not new releases. Some of them are 20 years old, some of them are 50 years old, whatever it is. And in most cases, they're films I really like or admire. And then I go see it in the cinema and I'm like, holy shit, like this is this is entirely different. I'm seeing this with eyes I hadn't seen before because I don't know. Maybe I was distracted or there was at least the possibility I could get distracted at home or I just the movie didn't kind of envelop me in the same way. And I was already Mr. Theatrical, but I'm kind of even being molded more so like that where I'm like, God, there's so many movies that I like that if I'd seen when they were first released, maybe I'd love them. Maybe I get something different out of it. And I say all of that to say I saw this movie in a theater and I enjoyed it more at home. I didn't get much of anything out of it in the theater. I will say it played very flat. There weren't a whole lot of laughs. Um, I I don't think the movie is even close to as funny as Knives Out. And I, I think that kind of came across where Knives Out was a theatrical movie because there's something even to the communal experience. At least at the screening I was at, I didn't I didn't get that. That wasn't happening around me. And honestly and we'll get into it we'll you know we'll throw up a spoiler warning now so we can talk a little bit more freely about it it's been out for a while but i do think there are elements of the plot in this film that may not be worse served by you deciding oh you know i'm just going to check my phone for a second here and then come back to it like i think there are things that if you if you really kind of dig in and you over scrutinize you're going to enjoy the film less than if you just go with the ride and be like yeah daniel craig's doing the accent and that was something that i certainly found outside of the theater it worked more for me i enjoyed my rewatch more actually i rewatched it expecting it to go down in my estimation i was like you know what i wasn't i wasn't too generous or i wasn't it's it's fine it's good um i wish it was better but it's it's pretty good we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, to get into it, I know already from before we start, and it's probably already clear for people that we come from different sides on this, and I actually think I'm in the middle, uh, <laughs> which is not necessarily always the case. Um, Numak, we'll, we'll go to you first, because I, I know you really liked this movie. You had a stronger response to it. So, what what is it about this movie that you really, really liked or that worked for you whether that's something that you feel was there in knives out and is kind of continuing or being reworked in an interesting way here or for something entirely new um well we'll start with we'll, we'll go both because i think there is new things in glass onion that i appreciated but also things that carried over obviously the carrying over big thing was Belma blanc glad to see he's still kicking it in, in, the, in the universe um but just in general, the attention to detail that both the movies had was something I appreciated and like half the reason I loved it more on my rewatch. Like the more I find out about this movie, the more um secondary pieces of information I find out about it. Like I watched um Brian Johnson's I forget what um what company does the videos, but the Going, they go through the scene. They went through the arrival scene of, um, of Glass Onion. He breaks it, breaks in, breaks down the entire scene. And he points out little things throughout it and just talks about the movie. And it's like, oh, I didn't notice that. Didn't notice these things. It's like the attention to detail they have. And then uh, watch another video, where they pointed out like all the Easter eggs that you didn't see that really bolster the plot of Miles Braun being a uh, an idiot, as Benoit Blanc would say. Which is like one of my favorite lines he he pitches in the movie. He's just calling him an idiot, along with a uh, glorious vain buffoon, and just the attention to detail to showcase that. For example, I don't know who the artist was, but there was this really famous piece of art, red and blue painting, on the wall, and it's hung upside down. Like it's not oriented the way the piece of art is supposed to be oriented. It's like that's the attention to detail I expect when I watched Glass Onion given all of the other other things I watched about Knives Out that were the same thing, like the baseball being one of the big things in Knives Out and how that, not plot device, but how that was used as a thread to go between scenes and help Benoit Blanc uh, solve the mystery. Um, The new stuff, I liked all the new characters, frankly. Um, Batista, Dave Batista, was fun for when he was in it. Like He did a GQ article, I think, talking about how he didn't want to become Dwayne the Rock Johnson and just be like a just be the Dwayne the Rock Johnson in an action movie. He wanted to become, quote, a good fucking actor. <laughs> and I think he's well on his way. And I just loved all the personas that they uh they presented. Um I forget her name. Who's the what's the governor's name? Like her back. Catherine Hahn. Yep. She was awesome and just like she always is in a lot of things recently, she was really good in uh I don't why my brain doesn't work in the the Marvel show oh one division uh, yeah she was really good in that too and so i just like that 
there was no basically like copy paste characters from the from Knives Out Two Glass Onion. It was a whole new basically slate of characters and personalities that we had to expect. So yeah, there was just a lot of a lot of things. I liked the the new uh, plot, I guess pathway they took rather than being A to B like Knives Out was. It was A to like almost be and then they redid the whole thing like i forget i don't know what that plot device is called you probably know better adam but they basically made two whole quote-unquote movies to explain the plot and explain the mystery so i, I really enjoyed that on my second watch i appreciate it more than i did the first time so you disagree with ben shapiro's what you're saying yeah because ben shapiro's an idiot <laughs> freaking Stuart little sounding <laughs> andrew are you are you going to agree? This is, we won't go there. Um, what 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 for you maybe didn't work, or even if you want to keep it positive for now, and then we can go back. Well, it worked for you. I'll I'll leave it what, up to you to to take it in the direction you see fit. What worked for me was the follow the string arc that he's talking about, and then the repacking of everything we've just seen. I thought that all was was fine because we get to see. Craig as Benoit Blanc just kind of uh, flex and show his flourishes about you know what actually makes him a great detective because a lot of the times he's uh, portraying himself as playing the fool in certain scenarios and you see that that's that's part of his his shtick and then there's also the times where he really is at a loss and there's a little bit of that vulnerability there and I think he, Craig just plays that really well. Um, I thought of the new characters being worked in, I thought Catherine Hahn was the best because I think she was the least cartoonish. I I think Kate Hudson is doing the best with what she can with her uh, problematic, uh, I don't know, Kardashian light type Influencer. of type, yeah, yeah, type of character. I think now, and Ben Shapiro may be proving me entirely wrong just because, like. <laughs> There's a degree of cartoonishness with the the idiots that are being portrayed, and it's like, yeah, we know they're idiots. Like the, these people are just like cartoon villain level of evil, and it's just like grating to me to the point where I'm, I just it's a little too on the nose. It's a little mm -hmm. too of the moment in a way where it's just not working for me. It that's not that's not the case the entire time. I think part of what I'm doing is unfairly comparing it two knives out which was much more successful for me um i will say I andrew thought... it does have a knives out like mystery in the title which i know ron johnson hated he did not want that in yeah. that was something netflix did but it by itself you you can't but compare it to knives out and also that's kind of like that's the lineage of what this kind of movie as a genre does like when ron johnson went to do Knives Out in the first place he was talking about like adaptations of Agatha Christie movies and the kind of yep. the kind of strong archetypes and the structure which at no point in that is it really about it's not like from one Agatha Christie story to another it's about a complete reinvention and tearing up the archetypes it's it's just it's about enjoying the journey watching the mystery unfold trying to solve it rather than oh, well, this is an entirely new set of characters. It's like, yeah, sure they are, but they generally aren't. 
where I was actually surprised by how much he did tear up the formula here and introduce new characters. I'll, I've more on that, but I'll put it back to you, Andrew, just because I do think, like, I th- I my thing to you is, yeah, compare it to Knives Out. Because one, Netflix wants you to do that. But two, it's part of this genre. And Knives Out is the most notable recent entry where it's like, that is the only way that you can view these movies. They have to be viewed within a framework of how does a mystery who done it work because outside of that there's a lot of that's just kind of nonsense inside of it there's some of it that's kind of nonsense too but outside of that i think it doesn't work compared to other types of movies they're very much their own thing and it's part of why you know you're going into who it, to a who done it like I, I don't know maybe you guys disagree but i don't think i've ever like turned on a movie walked into a movie and been like Oh, this is a who done it. It's like I that was that was me for Knives Out. That was your one. experience with Knives Out. I didn't right. I didn't know that. Like I, I went to the, into Knives Out knowing nothing, just that it was a great movie to go watch it. Same thing, and I was gonna bring it up to he said that uh Knives Out is like the most uh popular edition of this uh this genre recently. I'm like, well I was, I was gonna counter that with uh Death on the Nile, isn't that isn't that for you? <laughs> <laughs> uh no dead on the nile i have seen i have seen the brana i got a christy movies he's he's yeah. keeps getting away with it he's got another one we got another out. one coming we went, oh no uh um on those Andrew's... movies those movies have an audience there's an audience yes. of a certain age that are right they're going to not a whole lot in theaters but they will go see kenneth brana's i got a christy movies um before we get too far away from it, i think i agree with you andrew like about the characters is that there is a certain complexity the knives out characters that was not present with any of these characters in glass onion like and that's gonna work for some people just didn't land as effectively with me i think another a bit of baggage i bring to this it's just like i any kind of and maybe we'll get 20 years away from this and someone will finally get to the point where it works for me but just the the of the moment covid just like Putting that on screen, I'm trying to think if there's been a. There's one. Version. There's one. There's one that's one of your favorite films of 2022. It's and... one of the only cases. It's Kimmy. Oh yes, Kimmy is definitely the best, most effective version of that. But 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 Kimmy doesn't use it as a gimmick and throw it away. And this plays it for laughs in a way that I think is just lazier than some of the jokes that were, like in knives out the i mean the vaccine or whatever in the beginning that ethan hawks administering to people where he's like you're good now like i the 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 see-through mask that kate hudson's wearing that, like none of this stuff is landing for me at all that made me uh, laugh so hard the the see like the, the the mesh mask that kate hudson had i i barely laughed i thought it was so funny and i'm glad you did because it's not it's a <laughs> me problem here but i i'm I'd a say simple this, man i said i no, so am i i say this not you know, I we rarely talk about things that we're not just raving about on this podcast. So that's why I see her into the negative. I don't want to make it seem like I didn't like this uh, or, or thought it was bad because I didn't. Uh, I, I thought it was fine, like perfectly grating in some places, pleasant in others and just along for the ride with Daniel Craig. I think he's great. I think the. The the web of the mystery and the connections between the characters and how that like factors into who's doing what and why I think all that's fine. The storytelling there, I think just 
setting tone and just the fact that I just didn't find it as funny as the first one is what's really limiting me from going to say this is one of the better movies I've seen this year. It's a perfectly fine whodunit. It's the, the next edition of the journey we're taking with Benoit Blanc. And I like the first one a lot better, and I'm hoping that I'll like the third one a lot better. And this one's just kind of going to be... Uh, the one in the middle, hopefully, for me, or at the bottom, I should say, that it didn't work as well. But that being said, I don't regret watching it. There's sometimes I watch a movie, and I really just regret spending that time watching that movie. And despite what my letterbox reviews might say, a lot of those are Marvel movies. Uh, they were a waste of my time catching up, even if we you, got you content out of it. You're forgetting that you actually had fun with some of this. I'm not encouraging you to go back to that, but you're... You're forgetting that you didn't hate some of those as much as you expected. But I'd rather watch Glass. I know you would, and that's fine. I than those I'm types of movies. So sorry, Ryan Johnson, that I just spent uh ten minutes being a Debbie Downer. I apologize. <laughs> I'm gonna spend even longer being a Debbie Downer. It's not oh because boy. I want to. It's not because I really want to be a Debbie Downer on this movie because I don't think this is the guiltiest movie of it. Andrew knows this because there's something I've been working through for a while. Uh, and just a few movies that have really pissed me off. I'm just like, <laughs> we just, we've got to be better than this. Like, it, movies that have played very well for a lot of people. So this is a me thing. Um, but I, I think there is a larger problem with satire and often comedy. And this plays into that for sure that I think increasingly it is dying in a really depressing way in movies from highbrow to lowerbrow recent examples of movies. I think that I know a lot of people liked instead of being well reviewed, but I just hated every second. I wanted to rip the skin off my face while watching them. That's uh, how you really feel. Triangle of sadness, the menu menu, maybe most of all, um, and going back to last year, Don't Look Up was the classic example of this, where Andrew oh. would just drop it into podcasts every now and then to make me really angry. But something I've been trying to work out with that, I'm like, okay, there's something here that's working about them, but they really irritate me. And why is that? And who is the kind of person then that that doesn't happen for? And Knives Out, a Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery, um, crystallized this for me. It's not the guiltiest of it, but the same thing happened again. So Knives Out comes out and it's a genuine organic success, right? And it becomes like a meme movie because people love it so much that they start to meme it. And it becomes like embedded in the language of the internet because people love it and because it's well-written and it's funny and it's got its finger on the pulse of what's happening culturally, politically. Um, but it's not, it's not, it's not foolish enough to just dive two feet into it. This movie is foolish enough to dive two feet into it. And I think the comparison I would make here is we all know the type of people that Ryan Johnson was satirizing in Dives Out. We all know a big part of why he was satirizing them at that time. I think what Glass Onion does is if the same tone was carried from one to another, I think those characters would have been wearing MAGA hats in Knives Out. Because it just it does away with the subtlety completely. Um, it's very jarring from within like the first 90 seconds when you've got like Dave Batiste as a right wing Twitch streamer, like talking like an idiot about boobs, like selling boner pills. Rhino boner not, pills. That's just not 
it's not funny. I just my my ultimate thing on this is it felt like the movie was such like an internet success, but because it was good and because it was funny and because it wasn't trying to be like that, that it felt like some of that seeped into the writing of this. And this is very much something with those other films I've mentioned, The Life's Triangle of Sadness and The Menu this year, which are like commenting on, I guess, Instagram culture in those cases and influencer culture. And the whole thing is like, you're years behind, which is what happens when you make a movie. And maybe I'm just way too extremely online where I see this stuff. I'm like, this is not insightful. This is not funny. We're years past this. This is just dumb and lazy at this point. This is the low-hanging fruit. I think the fact that so many people like it maybe says I am too online because there's a whole swathe of people out there who are happily living their lives and that doesn't happen. But I, I really, I came up against that here and it just, it, it really kind of tanked parts of the movie for me where I could feel it trying to become a meme or I could feel it engaging with online discourse because I think even its ideas of, you know, Oh, kooky eccentric genius but actually an idiot billionaire it's like the film was done the greatest favor by the universe by the timing where everyone goes oh it's elon musk now ryan johnson has said it's not elon musk it's at least part elon musk like I yeah don't, i think that's that's undeniable but i actually do believe him i think there's more going on there um than him just parodying elon musk but it's just clunky it's really clunky and it dived into that world in a way that I felt you don't need any of this to tell a murder mystery. In fact, you're so much better removed from this. The idea is these people are in this place and a mystery unfolds. Guess what? In a kind of different way, this is also the way that one of the biggest hit shows on TV in the past two years is constructed, which is White Lotus, where you get these people together in a place and you know, well, eventually someone dies not quite a mystery in the same way, but broad shapes of it are the same. I think you can look at people and you can you can get to your points through people much easier than leading from the front. Like Miles Braun is one of the least interesting characters I've seen on screen in a long time. Because it's like he's not even a parody of something. It's like, yeah, people like that are real, and I don't need yeah. you to tell me oh, you'd never realize, but, you know, the guys you think are geniuses are idiots. Like, no, we all realized years ago. Like, yeah. and part of this is just movies are slow moving, you know, like freighter ships in the middle of the ocean. They don't turn around quickly. So something that's a great idea when you sit down to write something can play very differently by the time it comes to screen. I'm finding this more and more. I don't think it's smart to engage with critiques of internet culture on a movie because to me i'm just finding a lot of stuff where i'm like yeah we get it like we're already on to the next thing we're on to the next phase of like the great problem um with how the internet is eroding all of our brains so like part of that i i make that point because this is a movie where i'm like okay well this is better and it's not as dumb as some of those other things i mentioned but it's still, it's there. And I'm like, mm, okay. And I think even to a lesser extent, like COVID is that. The movie had no need. And I actually think particularly for this genre and the type of story, just don't have COVID in the story. You don't, Well, there, I, there are projects that did it because you have to, because that's actually the easiest way to explain around and get things shot at the time was to have people in masks. 
and have it in the plot and that way oh things are fine but the literal setup of this being you know a small number of people in a isolated place i don't think you need to go there i like i don't think it's worth a Stephen Sondheim, Angela Lansbury, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Zoom cameo, or Ethan Hawke showing up. Like, I was so excited about this movie when I thought Ethan Hawke was in it. And then you watch the movie, you're like, that's all Ethan Hawke's in the movie for? What's going on? So I I really kept waiting for him to pop back up, and it didn't happen. (laughs) Well, from what I saw, he was, like, filming a different movie and had an off day. He's like, yeah, I'll come do this, and then left. Like, he wasn't planned to be. Oh, yeah, that that is that is true, but right. that was not like he was in the first trailer that came out, and he's got about uh, forty five seconds of screen time. Like, yeah, um, he, he was certainly being billed. He was one of the earlier names announced. Where you're like, oh, okay, and we'll talk about all the performances. I think this cast last lacks depth. I think it compared to the first film, I it agree, needs but... a couple more stars in there. Before we move on to that, I want to touch on your like COVID. Uh, argument like I I agree that using COVID and like popular internet culture in movies and any sort of what should be long lasting media like even TV shows probably isn't the best thing to do just because it can go out of it can go wrong so easily as it kind of did this one but it, it definitely made sense understanding that he wrote this in 2020 when COVID was sure. happening. Like that, like if you take that into context, it makes sense as to why it's there. I think there needed to be, I'm not going to say an adult in the room because that makes it sound like it was not written well. There needed to be a discussion to have that was like, okay, this movie's coming out in a world that has seemingly moved on from COVID despite it really not being gone. Do we just figure out a different way to bring them together that isn't COVID? Because like once they get their little shot from Ethan Hawke on the on the dock. The only mention that it comes up again is when um when Dave Batista dies and Catherine Ham or yeah Catherine Hahn freaks out. She's like, oh I can see the headlines now like governor flies off to island with people and somebody dies. Like that's the only mention of it that comes back throughout the rest of the movie. So I think there needed to be a discussion that was like, okay, maybe we just figure out a different way to have them Go to the island, which could have been just their I, annual getaway. They've got getaway. to figure it out exactly. It's, right. it's, it's just their annual already. Getaway. You're right. I think the introduction of just uh, Catherine Ham, I keep her name Hans, like the first scene when she gets the the um the, the pack to the door, yeah, from mm-hmm. the the delivery driver, and then um the the mask scene on the dock, like that can just be done away with even though it would be harder to do because they were still masking when it was being filmed in mid-2021. Andrew, have you got anything on my my movie should stop trying to be online? Also, I feel like, you know, uh, Ryan Johnson, you don't need to be online, my guy. Right. Also, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interrupt you. I'm sorry, I apologize. I had another point. That's, that's okay, real, cool. Real fast. I I agree that being online for movies isn't like ideal because they go out of sorts so fast. I also don't attribute like real life satire and comedy to like boner pills and uh, Kate Hudson playing this sort of empty headed influencer character that she was playing. Like I think those are just like cheap laughs that don't really have a whole lot of 
narrative stuff that just like we needed a bit of con like uh needed a bit of dialogue to support the character. That's just what it is. Like I laughed at uh, the, no, the Ryan Osworth boner pill story, but I'm glad it wasn't like a theme. <laughs> the only thing it came up to was that that's the reason his character couldn't get on um Alpha News. Like that's the really the only two bits of it was the first mention of it when that's how he got in trouble or that's why he couldn't get on Alpha News and then when um Miles Braun talks about it with whiskey in bed. Like those it wasn't a it's not, I'm glad it's not a theme. And I see your point to where it shouldn't be like you just don't want it in there at all. And like you don't no, want well, commentary on it. My, no, like there's there's and there's part of that when you're working through it, I think that like Ryan Johnson is a super smart guy and he is he is mm -hmm. certainly able to identify what for example that character if we use that as example um painting Dave Bautista's character as he's like a Twitch streamer who's selling rhino boner pills like you're yeah. you're you're bringing Alex Jones to mind with the latter part of that and you're bringing a certain type of Twitch streamer to mind with just the whole shape of that now for example can you satirize that kind of element of internet culture more broadly with Batista? Yeah, look at the guy. He could be like a fitness YouTuber. Like he could be like some maniac personal fitness guy. I think he could do a lot of the same stuff and you're leaving the baggage behind. And I just think like there, it's basically the subtlety isn't there. Like I think you could do the same character and the same things could be true. But you don't have to announce it in the first minute. I feel there's a lot of that. Nice was very good at. By the time the movie's finished, everyone has revealed to us who they are, which is really what a murder mystery, a big ensemble murder mystery like this, is supposed to do. I think there was quite a few characters in this movie where Ryan Johnson was telling us who the characters were immediately, rather than letting the movie. I'm like, that's show don't tell. Like, that's I I can't remember the exact line. And I was actually a little bit jarred by it. Whatever line that Kate Hudson had, like the, the actually racist thing she said early in the movie. Oh, where yeah. You're, um... Where you're like, oh, so you're like, there's no more subtle way. There's no more. You couldn't reveal that to us over time, just in how she acts around people. It's like right away, like we're into we're doing the box opening, which, by the way, cool opening to a film. Really cool prop. Love that mm -hmm. as an idea for all of it. But you've got two of the characters, and right away they've just told us who they are. And it's like, oh. Now, the flip side of that, and part of that comes down to how it's written, part of it comes down to performance. Katrin Han's character unfolds much more gradually. Much more gradually. Um, I actually think there could have been a bit more for her to do, a bit more to that character, but you've got to kind of work that character out. I think the same applies for Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. Not my favorite performance. Honestly, not my favorite performer. Like, it was forgettable That's, in that role. Like, it didn't really I don't matter. Think he's a, I don't think he's a movie actor yet. I haven't seen anything yet that makes me be like, um, what was it? Was it One Night in Miami, Andrew? Was that the name of the film? Was Oscar yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with his performance there. His but, performance there uh, was fine, but I thought it was largely overhyped. And to me, the only time he's like, blown me away is being as Aaron Burr still. So, like, I'm, I'm still waiting to see. Oh yeah, that guy is a movie actor, and he he's made for acting on screen. Um, and yeah, he like, does just have a tremendous ability to just capture your attention when he's on stage. So it is funny that that somehow that hasn't necessarily translated to the screen. 
they're different disciplines. I mean, you're playing yeah. to the background one and you're playing to people who are right in looking at every pore in your face and the other. Like it's it's an entirely different type of acting. And obviously Miles Braun, like that Edward Norton character. And Norton's an interesting actor to cast in that role because I do think he's just like a painfully annoying guy. <laughs> like it's become more and more apparent in recent years he's the he's developed a reputation for himself on press tours in recent years um i know even when his own film came out motherless brooklyn which was perfectly fine film but he was so self-serious and was really i mean he thought he was like he'd created the next great american masterpiece he was bringing it to everyone and sure everyone thinks that to some extent when they make a movie but i think norton's had an interesting arc i I most like Norton now when I see him in like uh, when he's in a Wes Anderson movie and he's just like silent in an elevator and you're like, oh, there's Ed Norton doing like the, <laughs> the, the Ethan Hawke thing in this film, basically of, oh, he was shooting nearby and he, he came by for a day. Um, Like I'm, and I also I just want to be like that's, that's basically all my problems with this movie out of the way and we'll talk about things I, I like a whole lot more. But that that is what holds me back is I think there is great discipline in Knives Out and how subtle Ryan Johnson was about the things like the messages he was desperate to get across. He did it. The best way to get it across is to let the kind of person you want to critique reveal themselves. Not for you to be like, hey, look, this person. Idiot racist, this person, uh, scumbag Twitch streamer. Uh, this guy, idiot billionaire, just in case you didn't know that sometimes billionaires are idiots. It's like, okay. I think the only problem with the opening scene of like telling many people who they are was Kate Hudson's. I think you get the rest of them throughout the movie. Like, maybe Dave Bautista's character was shown a little bit too much too early, but he didn't get a lot of dialogue throughout the movie anyways because he eyes halfway through and so I mean, that's that's like, part of my issues i think they waste dave bautista who i really like mm -hmm. yeah no strong agree like definitely they they killed the wrong person <laughs> <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> yeah yeah but i i like i guess like what sorry they they, they could have let the rest of the dialogue the rest of the characters have explained who they are like they get to why Miles Braun has the dirt on Kate Hudson with the her thinking sweat chops are worse, sweatpants and sweatshirts are made. <laughs> Hilarious plot device, by the way. That but that's that that is the moment. You're 100 right. right. That reveals who that character is. Right. Like you that, don't need to they, tell us before that. You don't oh, need it out of her mouth. You need someone to put her idiotic thoughts into context. Right. I actually really like that joke. I think that was so funny. Well. <laughs> it's so funny, dude. Um, but then. Um, Leslie Odom Jr.'s character, like, I think they didn't do again. I, I agree with everything. I'm just gonna echo everything Adam said about that character, and just it wasn't inspiring to me. The his opening part about him in the in the factory, just talking to the board members who he's talking to, was relatively pointless because we get it explained later, anyways. Um, yeah, I just think that. Kate Hudson's opener was the only problem I really had with revealing too much about the characters too early. Adam, one thing you said makes me wonder just 
if it is a me problem with my absorption of this film and my enjoyment, because I think I wonder some someone who's not so online doesn't have that as grading an experience because me going into it as I'm being told up front who these people are. It's like, I already hate these people. Like, yeah. why are you, why are you trying to beat me over the head with it? And it really right. just is the lack of subtlety because the, you hate the people in the eat, first one too, but is, yeah, you don't, you don't know that from the second you meet them is the difference. Right. Is ethos the right word? Cause the ethos of this film and just like, what it's trying to get across i agree with wholeheartedly but the method of delivery to me is just hitting me so far over the head that i'm i'm knocked out and i'm passed out in the corner by the middle when uh some of the good bits are going on and I, and again i didn't hate this film it's just like i i have less of a problem with comedy than you that are like comedies over the last few years that have really worked for me that that i really like can turn my brain off and enjoy but satire has been tough my favorite what i would say movie that has elements of satire i've seen in a while was white noise which we talked about uh uh last week i think it but that's a don delillo book being adapted it's, by it's no, set in no the Mamba. 80s so so we yeah. don't have to worry about anything else it's like there are parallels to a pandemic so you go oh isn't that cool to like kind of but it's not literally being like here we are replacing it that time i mean the, the other thing that made me think about this too just in terms of I find this really interesting as well. I'm not just talking about this to bash it. It's like Ryan Johnson is of any director in recent years. I, there is not another director who's been as torn apart by internet discourse as he was after last Jedi. And he's, he's coming along after a movie that was like universally beloved moving on from that. And then he's being like, I'm going to make a movie that's so online. You won't even believe it. It's the stuff like, uh, I can't remember which is which, but Jared Leto's kombucha and now Jeremy Renner, who I hope Jeremy Renner's okay, yeah. is hot sauce. You have like, him right. That's that's the right bearing. That that stuff is like again. What are you doing that for? You think someone's gonna yeah. like? Or is it actually? If I'm even more cynical about it, which let's not mess around here, I absolutely am. It's like it's not even for people to meme online. It's like for Netflix's really cringy social media presence to do the memeing for you. Yeah. Um, and the same thing goes to like the Sondheim, Serena Williams, Angela Lansbury, Kareem, Yo-Yo Ma, Natasha Leone. Yeah. Am I forgetting anyone? Like all of that. It's like, and I mean, the other well, part of it, I'm curious as to your opinion. And I, I know it was kind of celebrated in a way where Ryan Johnson was like, yo, well, that's always been there. I set that up. That's, I always knew that was the case of the character. The Hugh Grant cameo. And the reframing of Benoit Blanc, which I'm kind of like, okay, cool. I also think it's a little disingenuous to say that's fully all been kind of planted in the first film. Sure, you can go back now and be like, oh, yeah, yeah I get it. I could see it. But I I found that to be interesting, too. There's a lot of stuff that's just, like, noisy, like showy for the sake of being showy in a way of, oh, look at this person, look at this person, look at the look at what I'm doing here, where I was just distracted before we could be like, okay, well let's get into the let's get into the movie. Let's get into the the knives out of it all. Let's get into the mystery. I agree with you in that some of the cameos by the people were unnecessary. Like there didn't need Yo Yo Ma explaining to me what the the Mozart or the Bach, whatever composing uh that composer. might be the 
That might be the best though, because at least it's not on Zoom. Right. But like, I forget. Can you remind me who the people on the Zoom were? Natasha, not yeah, it was Natasha you've got Leone, Natasha Leone, Kareem. Kareem. You've got Stephen Sondheim, and you've got Angela yep. Lansbury. So, so like, the two, so Stephen Sondheim and Angela Lansbury. Again, I'm not the movie whizzes you guys are, but those two weren't they in like a Who Done It like way back in the sixties? You know, no, they were they were they were well, in a movie together. Angela, Angela Lansbury was Murder She Wrote was Angela Lansbury, right? So, okay, so that is that is her thing. Stephen Sondheim is composer writer of broadway musicals oh, okay then the likes I of guess... sweeney todd who, but both of those gotcha. both of those people recently passed away so that's the last time right. i've ever seen on screen so like i'm a big admirer of sondheim <laughs> sondheim is maybe one of the smartest wittiest writers yeah. like ever yeah. um and I find his presence in this movie interesting with some of the kind of not so subtle stuff there. But I saw Sondheim, I was like, oh, cool, Sondheim. I'm like, Kareem? And all of a sudden, it just felt like it. part of that's like, I'm like, okay, well, that part of it's engaging too much with my brain. But it's also such a weird selection of people where, it's, again, it's like, oh, we're going to have that person for that kind of audience member and that person for... Now, the other part of that is obviously Kareem writes his... Uh, Mycroft Holmes, right? Books like I, and, I like, think there, like that there is was kind the, of broader elements of mystery, in that. right? Like I think that's why I don't mind that Zoom call that much, as opposed to like I didn't like the the random Serena like five second bit, like that was entirely pointless to me, and just the other little bits of um cameos that we got. So before we move on, unless, unless Andrew, you have something to talk about with those cameos. No, I just. I want to make when... sure we talk about Janelle Monae because <laughs> we haven't yet, and I thought her performance was fantastic. Like I think, the, it, I think it's really good. I just, I just loved like seeing the little bits of what we saw of her in the first half of the movie when she is, um, I forget her sister's name now. My brain isn't working today. Cassandra, uh, Cassandra, right? Yeah, Andy, Andy, Cassandra. Andy. When she's Andy. And we think she's Andy and just like turns out to be then her sister, Helen. And we see like the full accent come out in the second, the first part of the second half of the movie and just the, the range of acting that she did, I thought was really awesome. Along with just like the context of seeing the first half again, after you've seen the full movie of like, yeah, she really is death gripping that bar on the boat because she's afraid of being on boats and just, acting that way like i i really liked her performance a lot yeah I, th I think the testament to the performance is that on second viewing it does it does play back better mm -hmm. um i personally think uh, this this isn't about what you're saying or anything you've just laid out there which i kind of agree with i think it's being overplayed though in terms of critical sense and even I've seen some people like, oh, she should be nominated for awards. I, I don't think it's I don't that think special. it's that special. I'm, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think there's really that much range to it. There's subtle differences that play interestingly to watch it back. Um, but I, I did. I think it's good without it being something that bowled me over in the moment. Jelena is kind of interesting. She's become pretty reliably good, but like the range of roles she has has been pretty weird. And when you think, oh, okay, I've got a handle, that's the kind of actress she's going to be. She's doing something completely different, which in a lot of ways is fun. It's interesting. And it's like, it can lead to 
something where she's going to fall into a role no one ever imagined her in and is going to be really great in it. Um, definitely, definitely falls on the, the positive side of the ledger for this movie. Like yeah. in terms of running down performances, um, not only is she really good, but I do think her and Daniel Craig have kind of good chemistry and good interplay where that works. That's, that's one thing I thought too, actually, in terms of the structure and what he changed and what he didn't. Something I really liked in rewatching uh, Knives Out last week before I rewatched Glass Onion, and I hadn't really thought about it. I was like, the Lakeith Stanfield character and um, I can't remember, Noah Segan, I think it is, who plays a different character in this movie. We won't get into all of that. He plays the weird kind of stoner slacker guy who's hanging around. He plays oh. the, the other cop in Knives Out. Oh, that, that's the same dude. Same dude. Didn't had no idea. That framing, I think, is really effective in Knives Out. Where I don't know to what extent, because he's a detective too. So it's an interesting choice by Ryan Johnson of being like, "Oh yeah, there's been a New Yorker profile about Benoit Blanc," because not only are you doing something for this movie, but you're also reframing how you can have that character come into any situation for a third movie or a fourth or a fifth movie if you decide you want to do that down the line. It's mm-hmm. like you've you brought him to a level that's interesting where when you watch rewatch Knives Out and you're like, oh yeah, I forget. He starts sitting at the back of the room. He's not leading an investigation. He's here. He's like insulting. He's being called in. I thought it was a really clever framing device that allowed him to kind of thrive and you got an actor like Keith Stanfield is great. I thought that worked really well. And I, I Removing that brought some of the Benoit Blanc to a zanier place than it needed to be at times when he is straight like it's him and Miles Braun there's no go between and he's interjecting it's like it's just those two guys and it's together I think that changed the tone in a way where Lakeith Stanfield's character and the kind of narrative structure it held it all together a lot more tightly in Knives Out I don't know if you guys, if that occurred here, if you thought of that, it was just something that was interesting because I thought, oh, that's a, it's a really interesting way to work because now he's famous. You've made him famous already. Like those cameos we talked about, they're the real people and he's on Zoom with them and he's this famous detective. So you can, can ever put the genie back in, back in the lamp on that one. You know, that's, that's got to factor into the setup for any Knives Out movies going forward too. Uh, Other performances. Part of my concern here is that we're going to run out of people to talk about very quickly. Um, I thought Madeline Klein was fine. Um, I wasn't familiar with her. Outer Banks is, I know, a popular TV show. I've never seen even a single second of it. So Season three is uh, dropping uh, pretty soon, Adam. <laughs> and let, let I saw lots you. of articles <laughs> about that today. And I know you must have on your feed because there's no other way you'd know about television. Here's here's the thing. We're too what online. About... This is this is proving the points. We're too online. Everything I know about that show is because of the geographical failings they get in. Oh, so uh, isn't that like in North Carolina and the Carolinas? Yeah, it's, a, it's <laughs> they, they've got a, the posters. I'm like overlooking the ocean on a cliff. I'm like, we don't have cliffs like that like, in the North Carolina coast. Like, also they take like a ferry to get from the Outer Banks to Chapel Hill, which is inland by about. 200 miles? Like, what are we doing here? Anyway. But, so is, is Benoit Blanc more accurate to, you know? Oh, I, I claim Benoit Blanc a lot more than I claim the Outer Banks. I'll tell you that much. 
Yeah, I don't think there's too many other like performances in the movie that we haven't talked about that are worth talking about. Like, uh, yeah, I don't think there really is. I think we talked about everybody I really had any sort of strong opinions on. I've I've Her? one more thing that I want to lead us on. Andrew, did you have something to say? I thought I heard. Oh, you sorry, Andrew, have you got something? Birdie's assistant, uh, Jessica Henwick. Just, yeah, yeah. Like I thought she was fine. She's I fine. I yeah. I don't think that role is great. Like that's that's yeah. this is missing. It's missing an under the armos. There isn't. I I think that is something to build into your structure. It's very tough to guarantee you'll get that right. But I do think getting a bunch of stars together and putting someone lesser known in a role that's going to come to prominence is a clever device that could really hook people in. Um, I think just like structurally, it's interesting to be like, like all of the famous people are the people you suspect of this crime. So I'm putting someone who you don't recognize makes them a better kind of avatar, a better proxy for the audience too. And there's some of that lost here. I don't think it's essential, but again, the fact that he moved away from that is interesting. Yeah, because like Anna de Armas was the main character in Knives Out and Benoit Blanc was the main character of this movie. Like, I think that's the big change narratively, is that it was... We were we were with Benoit Blanc trying to figure it out. Yeah, did Janelle, to... Janelle Monet, Anna de Armas, like, their, their prominence is flipped in terms of that yep. character in a way that I guess that happens if you're bringing Benoit Blanc back, but for the movie, I don't know. It could be better to the other way. The one and... other thing, and I'm going to clear out for Numak after this because I want Numak to bring some positive stuff and throw them at us and we can be like, yeah, you know what? I do agree with that as I don't want it to be. I want to throw something at you before you throw it at me. Okay. No, no like go on with what you're going to say, but like I have something else once you're done with your thought. Okay. My my thought is, it's not an original one. Plenty of other people have had this too, but I thought the first time I saw it, and I find it tough to this day. None of these people are actually friends. Like this makes zero fucking sense. I think the that whole... is the entire point when you get to like that type of fame level is that that you're not actually friends. You're just no, like... no, no, but not the fame, like. Just in their, general? Literally, their origin in the bar makes zero sense that oh, those yeah. people ever come together and just be like, hey, we're all losers. Yeah, we're gonna no, have I, this. I can agree with that. Makes zero sense and undermines everything in the movie from then because, I mean, we all, we all know the way friendships work and some friendships are really deep-rooted and we carry over and last a long time. And others are like, why am I friends with that person anyway? And that kind of person, you don't go to their mega lair on a like Greek island in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, that's interesting. I... Like again, I guess he wants to get away from like when we worked through he wants to get away from so many things he did in Knives Out. I find that surprising because part of this genre is yeah, you you are doing the same thing again, but you can have the fun in that. Like that's that's the ways that you make slight differences can be where your audience really gets joy, where he kind of shook some things up like this. A family makes sense for a reason, because the people are thrown together and you're like, oh, yeah, well, they're a family. So that's why they're together. Like, and there's no more questions asked where when you're like, wait, these people are all friends from this bar. And it's like, I, I don't know. It's right. 
It's think, pretty tenuous. Like it, to, it doesn't really hold together. To bring back what you mentioned earlier about whodunits and mysteries, like like mystery comedies like this, I think that is a significant um, example of just going along with the ride. It, it doesn't really matter how they met. It's just that they are friends. You know what I mean? Like the whole story of like, yeah, uh, Annie brought them all together and then now they're this crew. Like in the context of the thing, it doesn't really matter. Like I, I just, I don't really care that it's not realistic for all of their origin stories to make sense to come together as actual friends. I it just rings don't, true I to me because when about a year ago, I said, Adam, we're all losers. Let's start a Brewers podcast. And then we started a Brewers podcast. So it's really how we're on this Zoom talking to one another. Um, yeah, but I was not a right-wing Twitch streamer. And you didn't want to be the governor of yet. North Carolina. And like, <laughs> that's that's the, the level of it. You're probably the right-wing the right -wing Twitch streamer. Do you have a Twitch account? I have watched people. I've never actually streamed. Uh -huh. You're definitely the closest to streaming on this call. He's he's, uh, he's a left wing uh, Twitch streamer. Listen, the, the, the role of Twitch, the role of Twitch streamer, to be fair, is taken within the wider GSPN crew. That's right. So like, that that could be the person you know uh, selling their goods on Twitch. It's, uh, it's funny you say all that because more, <laughs> not about GSPN, about the movie. I'm steering it back. Because <laughs> good, good, I'm glad. As usual, I send things in directions that make no sense but um the part that did ring true was just uh not the, the collection of people and how they get to know each other and then more specifically for me is the areas they branch off into is kind of strange for me it's like agreed two plus two equals orange like i don't know what's happening here but uh but is that is that necessary? Like this goes back to the you could just not have the COVID thing. Like these could all just be people that Miles yeah. Braun is like, yeah, I decided I was going to invest in you, or you work for my company, and it's like those things are all there. You don't have to have the weird. Oh, here they are in the bar twenty years ago, and Batista's got long hair, or whatever. Are yeah. are like. The the defense all has for it there. It's like, I think it's just why'd you keep doing you, this? You, just you let need the, the take off. You need the smoking gun at least, but you don't necessarily right. need to know that it was here and now and and also you could just fake that and no one would it, care. By the way, as well, I have more of an issue with that. Like the napkin logic all in all of this, just I doesn't really hold true to me. But whatever. I think the two plus two equals orange thing only makes sense for. Leslie Odom Jr.'s character. Like, Catherine Hahn's character was a failing local politician at, like, a city council level. Then, um, I forget what Dave Bautista did. But, it but made, why are like, they friends with him? Why are they friends with Dave Bautista? Right. No, That's no, no, my no, number no, no. one no, issue. No, no, no. <laughs> no, like, the entire, like, web of them all being friends, I agree, doesn't matter. But how they got their positions makes sense with where they came from. Like, except for Leslie Odom Jr. Because Kate Hudson was a, was a failing actress. Um, Catherine Hahn was the little, like small city government person that wasn't succeeding. Again, I forget what Dave Bautista did, but his... They would have cut him out of the trust tree so fast. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know if this is true for you guys. It probably isn't. This may just be me, but something I didn't get until 
my rewatch. Madeline Klein is she has no lines of dialogue, I'm pretty sure. Like zero words. She's in those flashback scenes at the bar. She is there. And all along I assumed one that she was much younger than everyone else, because she certainly looks much younger than everyone else. And I thought, oh, that's someone who like Dave Batista has met. She's there. Batista has his arm around her in the boot at this bar. And I was like, hold on a minute. Because when I first watched it, part of the thing I was trying to was like, why is she invited? Is she not just like Batista's girlfriend? She's not part of this. She's in the scene. She was there from the start. She's part of this original crew. And that made even less sense to me because I just, she's so invisible. Like there's nothing given to her character in that sense. She literally seems like she is just like the tagger on to what Batista is doing. And like, no, no, she was actually on the photo and everything. She's there. So I'm guessing I'm not alone. And neither of you knows that either. Okay. I had to, I went, I'm literally watching the movie. He does. She is not in it. He has his arm wrapped on Kate Hudson. No, I'm watching the movie. (laughs) I watched it the other day. I'm watching it right now. She's not in it. I mean, I don't know if this is going to be great podcasting. If I also pull it up and we're having dueling, we're just we're watching along with the movie as we do. Madeline Klein is not in that. Okay. Picture. Well, if she if she's not, I'll take your word for it. Somewhat dubiously. <laughs> I'm uh, somewhat dubiously, right I'm going to take your word. But, but then that goes back to the thing I thought originally, which is why is she invited? How is she going? There's just one box and... Batista's just like bringing another because that under arm candy. He she literally says when she's talking with Andy that she or Andy Helen that she doesn't like her relationship with um Dave Bautista because he treats her like arm candy. And the only reason he's still she's still with him is because she's building her own platform on his channel as she's on it more. I'll I'll defend this one aspect of it. Go on, I'm, I'm dying to hear it. He's. Obviously, Dave Bautista is stupid enough to not ask permission to bring her along. She's hooking up with Edward Norton. Norton. No, I know that. Say anything about it? That's that's why she's there. It just underpins the whole thing, which comes later. Then, which is like Benoit Blanc doesn't have an invitation. It's like, and it's the the whole idea of oh well, why wasn't I asked? And you know, showing up to to something like this an invitation that kind of underpins that. I'm doing the thing at the start. And this is, I feared this might happen with a podcast because a movie like this is like, it's kind of bad for a podcast because you naturally dive into detail and things. And it's like, part of this, you just watch and you yeah. let it go. Um, I, I love just, that Newmax just watching the movie during the podcast. <laughs> I was like, because Adam blew my mind. Like, there's no shot in it. I just watched it last night. I didn't see it once, once we finish, I'm going to I'm gonna pull up the, the couple of scenes where it right does now. that and check. I do need to see it with my own eyes now. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I just I, I think there's say, or sorry, no no I I want you I want you to have some some positive thoughts before we get Adam would have been my like, negative thought for my positive thoughts. Adam would have been like, take me to the tomb. Let me see. <laughs> Let me see that it's empty. <laughs> Did you guys snuff out who uh like what was going to happen in the movie from the second? Within the first five minutes, as in the Janelle Monae twist. Nope. As in that Miles Brown was gonna kill somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Thousand percent. Yeah. I was. I was. That was like my one major annoyance with this movie, is that, um, he was going to like obviously be killing. Like I think like that was 
my biggest thing is that he's too I... outsized. You know what the fun thing to do would be? Kill him. That's yeah. like to really like append like, things and have your audience be like, oh, because no one is expecting that. Get them all to go to Ed Norton's island. He's there with his, you know, I won't talk Beatles with you. You don't have a good history of getting Beatles things right. <laughs> podcast. Uh, he's there. He's throwing Paul McCartney's guitar around on the beach. Um, I, and then just just like kill him really early because that would be a legitimate. That would have been good. Holy shit. Who's done that? But I think no, that he's so he's pulling all the strings that you're like, oh, OK. I mean, I, I guess part of that is maybe that like in the writing, you think, oh, the the murder mystery and when Ben Blanc figures that out, you've kind of faked the audience out on that. And they're like, oh, OK, well, you know, maybe it's not that he's right. going to do. But I don't think it did actually fake anyone out. No, I with when they when they showed the card that like come to the island relax and find out who killed me like i either thought that they would show up and he'd be dead and it'd actually be a murder mystery or that would also which, be good which also what i thought was going to happen is that he would be the murderer and he would be the bad guy and so i think what would have been for me like actually throw me for a loop and been like whoa like this wasn't the way i thought it was going to go was if he actually did die as part of the murder mystery. Like, he could have had the whole thing, like, I want to do the murder mystery, and I want to do the whole crossbow thing, but then actually die and not be the bad guy. I think that was, like, my one glaring issue with it all and how the movie was put together. I liked getting to see how great Benoit Blanc would be at like a dinner party where this was actually going on. Oh, it was so I really funny. Liked that scene, I thought that was well That's done. That's a great scene. Yeah. Hit Edward Norton getting shot with the with the fake crossbow thing and just sitting there just mauling. It's so funny. He gets up the stairs and he starts throwing the stuff down and throws uh Blanc the iPad. It just it it I, I loved all of that. I liked the iPad bit. I thought that was fine. I was on board with that. He wanted a prize. I think that's funny. And then he oh, back, he like back tried to say, "Well, I don't need the iPad, like, because he was he was being played because he wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't. We're getting into the positive stuff now that PM guess, by the way. The Are we not there? Test. Oh no, no, like this, like this is us getting into the positive stuff now. And like him, him being so polite and like he goes, oh, like I wasn't invited. Like I, I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And he wanted to leave right then. And then like he's just Our so polite out of it." Yeah, it was just oh, I love I loved the mannerisms he showed throughout the first half of the movie, along with wanna... the, the Batman, along with the Batman score when he's like, "Well, I'm not Batman," and then he starts putting together the actual detective work when he's sitting there with Helen on his on his uh his balcony and the Batman theme plays. Oh, that was cool. <laughs> I could go for like ten minutes. I could think all the. Well, cool keep things. going. I mean, we need we need to bounce it. I really liked the. The of the Mona Lisa and like uh protection policy that they had, uh, like that that being used every time the ding happened was like yes, and that was good for tension. Uh, oh, it was so good, it was so good. like the the Mona Lisa thing. I know we're on the good now. Mona Lisa thing generally terrible, absolutely yeah, terrible, stupid for the whole idea that he's like, I want to be mentioned the same breath as Mona Lisa. Yeah, okay, here's how you did it. Stupid, whatever. But the noise. Hit my dopamine fat. Hit my dopamine receptors <laughs> every time it happened. <laughs> I have, I I shared this with Andrew offline. I have seen multiple people put a theory out there, um, that on rewatch 
I found it really tough not to actually see myself that maybe this isn't a movie about Elon Musk because in Ryan Johnson was not painting that character as Elon Musk. That character might be Netflix because the entire way he speaks about being a disruptor and the language he uses and particularly this disruptor speech he gives in the middle of it is entirely like Netflix speak and the way that they're their role in the world of film um, has evolved and how they've been spoken about. As lots of people have also noted, the gong sound that goes off every hour sounds very like the Netflix the dumb or whatever that's actually called. That was um, good. That was, I like that. That was spot on. All listeners can't see my face. I just had the shocked face. Like, that's clearly what that is. Like, I, 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 I really, yeah, that's which he also had a cameo in out some other similar yeah. voice cameo thing so yep. he keeps doing that but that's that's something that like there is something really Ryan Johnson likes to give people the fingers in his movies like that's his, his whole energy is that um and when I heard that and I thought about it I was like you know what there is actually something there and particularly Ryan Johnson is it's the kind of thing you say about all directors but it really is true from he's a colossal cinephile uh, he is married to Karina Longworth, who is the host of probably the preeminent movie history podcast. So it was something a lot of people kind of thought about when it's like, oh, he's gone to Netflix and he's doing a thing. It's kind of interesting just to think about the idea of, did he make this movie? He took Netflix's money and was like, I'm going to make a movie where Netflix is basically the main character. And I'm talking about how dumb they are with all their tech ideas. And I guess Mona Lisa is this representation of, I guess, old art and the purity of old art and you right. money and tech people thinking they can get their hands on it and do whatever they want with it. So, like, that could be so overthought and just beyond laughable to Ryan Johnson actually put to him. But that reading does hold up. I, I found it difficult, the disruptor speech in particular, not to think about Netflix, which even if it's not intentionally so, the fact that Netflix paid for like a tech disruptor to be so like loudly and clearly parodied on their own service is kind of amusing. Very funny. Also, I like, like, sorry, I don't mean to like, no, no, disregard okay. everything you just said. <laughs> that's what's going off the Malita thing again. It's the attention to detail that this entire movie has is I, I just love it so much. Like the the Mona Lisa wasn't painted on canvas, it was painted on wood. And that's what it's on in the in his house. It's that's how it, it that's how it burns. It's just the paint burns off the wood and the wood stays there. And then um just all the art. Like that was one thing that was so good about Knives Out is that there wasn't a blank spot in the in the frame of the movie. Everything had like a specific choice or a specific purpose and you didn't we weren't just like looking at a blank wall or a blank spot on a desk and that was so great about this one too just like the there's a big painting um in the uh when the lights go out and miles brown is searching for andy and there's a big like long painting on the wall and there's um their names rhyme like you're gonna chastise for this uh chastise me this or this adam it's biggie iggy pop Somebody else, and then David Bowie's character, who has that same Z Ziggy Stardust. Ziggy Stardust. I don't know who the third person is, um, but like that's just like a, a cool piece of art, and then it just looks pretty. Like hiding things in plain sight, only to be revealed later, was such a 
like prominent theme of this movie. But that scene where, again, same scene where Miles Brown's looking for Andy, and you see Miles illuminated by the lighthouse, only to then illuminate Andy in the foreground with Helen. In the foreground was just so pretty because it's such the darkest of blacks and shadows that illuminated by Helen just hiding on the corner trying to hide from Miles Brown. Like it's just it there's, there's so much attention to detail that rewatchers get so much more out of like when um Miles Brown touches Helen when she arrives on the island, it looks like he's trying to touch a ghost. Like I'm stealing a lot of this like these comments from the video I watched that made me love it even more. Like I watched it, watched this video, and then watched it again and fell in love with it even more than I already did, already do. And it's just like the the rewatchability of this movie is so great for people who actually want to like pay attention and watch it, which is fascinating to me because I don't really have that with a lot of movies besides like just liking an overall movie. Like I'll watch Forrest Gump, for example, when it's on TV because it's just a nice movie. Like Adam's the wow. You uh, listen, I, Jesus I, Christ. I am a simple listen. man of simple pleasures. Sure are. <laughs> <laughs> And of so, all like, the things I was expecting for this podcast, well, I was well, not the, expecting the reason I say it is like, like that rewatch re movies. Nah, Forrest Gump, though. No, but directed like, by Robert Zemeckis. The point being is that that movie's on TV often, and so like if it's on TV and I don't have anything like nothing else, I'll turn it on, and watch it, enjoy myself watching it. Like this movie, I will like go out of my way again to watch and pay attention to those little details because there could be something else I missed. And just like things like that, like you look at the blood on Helen's shirt, the quote unquote blood when she's first shot, and you can tell obviously later that it's not blood red, it's hot sauce red. Like it's just so nice just to be in the know about these things. Obviously, that's revealed as like the biggest thing later in the movie, but it's just like it's nice to know that those scenes weren't shot that way, and that there was actual effort and attention to detail put into these things when they shot them like that's so refreshing for me as an amateur movie watcher i'm like you guys who watch scores more as the movies than i do like if there's one thing i don't like it's when i who isn't watching for these things can notice continuity issues and i think both knives out and glass onion are this might be the wrong word bereft of that in that it is that it doesn't happen and i like that when I'm watching a movie. I think that's why these movies are so refreshing to me as they're everything's everything's in place. Everything's no mise en place. So it's just I just I like these movies. I'm glad you like them. My main takeaway from that, it's part of why you're on this podcast and we'll get you on again is you need to watch more movies because you know most movies I, are generally pretty good at not having continuity errors or attention right. to detail. I didn't have you as like massive production design guy but we might have to do a production design pod where like Numak, here are the 10 greatest like movies of all time when it comes to production design and you just like get to focus on all the little details in the background which i'm i'm not even i'm there's not one part of me that's being so, like condescending so or mocking with that because i of, love that myself the part of that is is that i don't recognize i like it unless i'm shown it like i, I i'm I don't have those. Okay, like, so those, those well, what we can unpack in my from brain that, though, is, is that this, like you like this movie enough though to go and do extra digging is really correct. what it comes down to. Yeah. So because like none of what you're saying is wrong about this movie, but I that is also the case for ninety nine percent of movies. But it is interesting that this movie makes you want to 
notice that and makes yeah. you want to do the homework. Yeah, I wonder. I like I I you I doubt you can put your finger on that yourself, but I wonder what it is about it. Maybe part of it is that it's a mystery, and like yeah, in theory, your eye is being trained to what am I going to notice in the frame, and I'm watching really closely because I could pick up something here that could get me ahead of the rest of the audience, get me ahead of whoever I'm watching it with, and I'm going to figure this out first. Like, maybe that is part of it. But it's interesting that it brings that reaction out of you if that's right. not something you find generally when you watch movies. Like, and, right, exactly. And then another example of it is in Glass Onion when they're all sitting by the pool and Dave Bautista talks about how he's like, hey, remember that night you almost pancaked me at Andy and uh, Miles Brown was Anderson. Yeah, Cooper. and he cut some, yeah, yeah. But then the camera, like, really shifts to going from looking behind while Blanc and Miles Braun and looking at the front, like in front facing Dave Bautista, to then cutting out Dave Bautista out of the, the frame and then front facing Miles Braun and Emma Blanc. It's just you don't get the reaction that you would expect from Dave Bautista to have in like maybe a quizzical response or like doing like one of those things, like no, I meant Andy kind of thing. You don't get to see that because Brian Johnson intends you not to see it so that it's still a mystery. Like, like, like that's just fun, fun things I like about like, I think I might just have a, a desire and an urge to watch more really good whodunits because I watched Knives Out and I was like, I love this whodunit. It's awesome. And then you're going to hate this. I watched freaking uh, Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. I was like, Ugh. like Murder on the Orient Express was fine. Death on the Nile was less than fine. They're not I good. Did- no, I don't. I, I don't hate that you watch. Like I've gone to see those movies. In well, theaters no, like because right. it would be nice if they were good. Like it would be great. <laughs> everyone, everyone likes whodunits, but not many of them get made. Like yeah. there was kind of a drought before Knives Out, and that was such a success that Netflix were like, "Yeah, we're gonna pay hundreds of millions of dollars to get these for yeah. us." Like hundred and six nine of those millions. Big number. <laughs> it's a big number. Andrew, See how they run is a uh, charming, if forgettable, kind of in the same. I don't. I don't think it's a forget. I really like that movie. I think that movie was which one significantly overlooked. It's on HBO Max, Andrew. And yeah, it is. See, see how they see, run. New see Mac, how they I run. Think, it's a. Uh, oh, okay. it's a murder mystery whodunit from this year. Um, All right, there's a whole lot of yeah. them about, but I also really good attention to detail production design like yeah. elements like that that are central to the plot so there's a yeah. recommendation for you for anyone else um i think that's kind of it i mean trying to think I, look else. i've i've lots of issues with the film as people have heard i think overall the viewing experience is relatively fun where it if if this was the first of these that had come out, I'd probably be like, yeah, yeah it was good. Yeah, I think. But I know I know there's a better version, and that he can and has made a smarter version of this. Yeah. So that does get held against it, and like I said times earlier, I I think it's perfectly fine. That's you decide to make another one. That's what happens, rightly or wrongly. It's the same reason why people freaked out when he made uh, Last Jedi. It's because when you're making something, you're saying, oh, this is part of something bigger. People are going to have their own ideas, their own expectations, mm-hmm. and they're going to get tangled up one way or another. To Andrew's point earlier, it's like, am I still going to watch the next one of these couple of years now? Will I actually be looking forward to watching it? Yes, I probably will be. I hope we see a slightly more heavyweight cast again. I think 
I think we can dial it up. I don't just want lots of cameos of people where I'm like, oh, I know who that is. But I also think don't work so hard to create the setup. Don't bring so many disparate people. I think part of what works is you can just have a scenario where strangers are in the one place and all of a sudden they're in a murder mystery together. Um, or you can go the family route again. You can go whatever. I I think this particular one was a little bit forced for my liking. But it's a perfectly fun, enjoyable movie. And I think that seems to be what most people felt. Although it definitely didn't get the kind of pop from going on Netflix that I expected. And I think that Netflix definitely expected given what they paid. Yeah. Like people watched it. They liked it. No one is going to spend except maybe you, Numak the next few months being like, this is my favorite film I've seen in a long time. It's probably one of the only new films I've seen in a long time, besides like, I don't, I don't go to see many movies out, out in theatrical release, but... Listen, um, you watched The Barbarian, so don't sell yourself short. <laughs> um, uh, I want to say, sorry to cut across you, but like, I like that Ryan Johnson's movies elicit this much conversation. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate him as a filmmaker for that, and like I said, number three I'm in on, and Hopefully the three of us are talking about it again in two years or where will we be? What will the world look like, Adam? I don't know. Anyway, back to you, Numak. I feel the last commentary, like negative, whatever commentary I have on the movie is that I think it ended the wrong way. Like we're going long because I have opinions. Yeah, like, I laughed about 15 minutes ago. And you're like, I'm going to start the good stuff now. That's right. Uh, I think that... <laughs> how it should have ended rather than Helen like I agree that she got all of her anger out breaking all the art smashing all the glass like that's that that's good I wanted it to end with Benoit Blanc getting far enough away from the compound that he didn't survive a throw of the hydrogen clear to where everybody died I think that is a more appropriate I, I'm serious because that's what that like that's what that was going for, right? Is that this clear is bad, and that it's there's going just, to it's going there's to no way it happens. I don't I don't disagree. Listen, I'm all for movies Listen, that just I know, kill off like all the characters except that would have been lit Black. as hell. And I would have been. Well, that's what I'm saying is that like the the entire problem with clear is that it made Hindenburgs of millions of freaking houses, and it, for it to to blow up the glass onion and blow up the house, but not kill anybody isn't how i saw that ending and i really but wish see that's it like, that's, Helen an, Helen that's a nasty that's a nasty edged but realistic like if you're making a satire and you're satirizing something it's like yeah this guy should die because of his stupidity i agree with that like that's a really fun maximalist way like if you're gonna satirize all of these people in this way it's like yeah well this is how to play it you know this is how this is going to literally blow up. This is going to be the denouement of the movie. The average person who fires up Netflix with their family over the holidays to watch this movie, if they get confronted with that, they're losing their shit. And I wish that wasn't the case, but that that is the case. There's right. no way that would have tested well. There's no way Netflix are paying all this money and then doing that. But that is what you're speaking to. Just in a general sense, let's even leave the specific, but in a general sense, that's part of I think the it's like it's a fake, there's a fake edginess to the satire throughout, right? That it's like, yeah, you're not really going there, you're like, you're yeah. not, 
you're not really scaring the rich. Um, right. You're not really scaring this idiot billionaire or all of the hangers on because really like all of those characters are not redemptive. And we know that from the beginning. And to your point, I think the movie does a good job of redeeming them, whether it intends to or not, or just making the audience forget that and training. Oh, well, this is the big bad where it's like, well, actually, you know, a governor who's in bed with an idiot, not in bed, literally, right. but in bed with Inca Hoots, but will use an yep. idiot billionaire and, you know, is reliant on him for all of her political clout. Yeah, that seems like a pretty big problem. It doesn't seem like something yada yada. And you're like, yeah, the billionaire is bad. Like it's that's I, I take your point very well. I just that never happens in a movie made with this budget with these stars going on this service. And that's that's part of why as a world we're just collectively, you know, morons let's people need to be challenged Numax ready to challenge people with his alternate I ending i think they could have like gotten away with it had they just like showed janelle monet and like helen holding the clear and then hard cutting to benoit blanc smoking the cigar with like on the beach with it blowing up in the background like i think you don't have to show the grimness of it you just like showed like hey that bitch blew up and they're not and they're still in there like you can just draw those those conclusions to yourself without being so grim with it. And then like, and then Benoit Blanc reacts like Rachel McAdams in Game Night where the guy gets sucked into the propeller of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good comedy. That's a comedy I like. Right. I, agree. I, I, I just think that like, you just make like Benoit Blanc do that and he just smokes a cigar and then roll credits, roll glass onion song by the Beatles and then that's it. Just move on. Did but, you know at the time when I played that that was by the Beatles? And thank you guys for listening to. <laughs> we will. Wrap but serious, up. but yeah. seriously, it was it was great to have you on, Numac, because uh, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the film Van Wilder. But I'm I'm that character, and that I just continuously keep failing undergrad in uh, Adam's <laughs> uh, tutelage of movie uh, knowledge and and uh discussion so you know what anytime you want to audit a course with me <laughs> more than welcome i would disagree with that except for the fact that you used the film van wilder to make your your analogy there so maybe maybe we still got work to do here uh it was great to have you on Numa. great to talk to you the movie i'm glad that you really liked it and i i definitely didn't decide andrew disliked it more than me and no one's going to come away from this episode with that impression and i'm gonna unpack that i'm gonna work out why why did i have to do that why did i have to do it but um no it was a lot of fun talking through it and as andrew said ryan johnson makes movies worthy of conversation top broken films and if nothing else that's it's a good thing um not making boring movies is always good i think we ought to all just take this moment and abbreviate after the uh abbreviate this moment i'm gonna give it an eight and a half and top it out at my uh my range. Eight and a half. Yeah, I really liked it. Good God. All right. The, the the fun I had with it didn't eight and a half is okay. Um uh, thanks again to all of you for listening. <laughs> make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Let's make time for this. We'll be back next week with an episode looking ahead to our most anticipated movies of 2023. On top of that. 
Eurostep Podcast Network has you covered for a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll start with you. No, like, is there anything, anything interesting going on in the world of the Green Bay Packers this week, by any chance? Um, some might argue that the Packers are the more fun team in Wisconsin right now than it was two months ago. Uh, Those people playoff? clearly aren't podcasting with the Brewers. That's all I can say. About that. <laughs> um, yeah, Packers are on a playoff push. They play this Sunday against the Lions, and if they make it, I'll have to eat a big crow after flushing them down the toilet with their season. When they lost we put the that Lions. on YouTube? You eating a big crow? I, I mean, I'd have to go find a crow and make enemies out of a couple of... Uh, I used to know the the name for crows. I can't think of it anymore. Crows? Yeah, like they're 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 No, I mean that's the name crows. for crows. No, the Latin. Oh, name. okay. Oh. I was gonna say oh, bovine, okay. but that's cows. No, that's we'll what you call that's what you call a bunch of crows. <laughs> yeah, go listen to Taco Tundra. We have a new we drop every uh Mondays and Thursdays typically. So please listen. Packers are a meddling playoff team at the moment. Cruising for bruising. Andrew and I talking all things Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, I believe we have escaped this podcast without them breaking more news on us. But the word uh... for crow is uh, Corbin. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, like the Henry George Cousteau film. That's right. You you can watch that next. We'll we'll do a pod on that soon. Um. Well, what am I forgetting? Oh, Eurostep Podcast Network, the main feed. Home to all Milwaukee books talk. The Eurostep with Ty Winish around Caddy. Win in six with myself and Jordan Tresky. That pretty much covers it. GSPN.info, you get all of your details. Go join our repod. And that's pretty much it until next time. As always, thanks to all of you for listening. Thank you, Numa. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, fellas.